Hello everyone and welcome to this episode, the expectation one of the Women Talking About Learning podcast. I'm Andrew Jacobs. The idea of recording a topic on expectation was fascinating. We truly had no idea what our guests would discuss and were completely engrossed in this conversation and we hope that you will be too. With this in mind, we do have two amazing guests. Our first guest is Beth Kugler-Blom. Beth is a facilitator and learning designer who, along with her team, works with clients across all sectors to design and facilitate great learning experiences and meetings, both in person and online. She is an author and is the host of the Facilitating on Purpose podcast. Our second guest is Alex Sukman. Alex's mission is to make work a source of genuine meaning and connection for everyone and uses games and play to achieve that. Her company makes game-based experiences available for a wide range of learning and development outcomes. Recorded in September of this year, this is Women Talking About Learning, this is Beth and Alex, talking about expectation. Alex, hi, it's so nice to meet you today. You too, Beth, I'm excited for this conversation. Me too, I think we can go in all sorts of different directions and uh, let's see where it goes. How about I start with a question for you? I'm going to turn it over to you first of all. What I mean, this is a wide open topic for us, isn't it? So what's the first thing that when you saw the topic of the episode, the expectation one, what's one thing that came to mind for you? Yeah, I think about expectations a lot in my work. And it's actually something that I do a lot in my work is how many times in the context of work and working with other people, somebody tells you something that's very clear to them, it's very clear to the message sender, but they have all of this additional context and all of this history that the person who receiving the message or the people receiving it don't have. And there's an immediate imbalance of information that can lead to a lot of all sorts of consequences down the road. So that's what I think of. Yeah, I can see that for sure. And it makes me think about assumptions, you know, when you don't really get what they're saying or understand that whole context piece behind what they're asking or they're saying that we can really quickly jump to conclusions or make assumptions about what they really want or what they're saying. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and there's two really important parts of expectations. It's what does the person who has the expectations expect what are what do they think and then does the person who's supposed to perform based on those expectations do they understand what that is and there's so many opportunities for that to go wrong because people are going to bring their own assumptions they're going to fill in the gaps for whatever information wasn't provided or if people learn or absorb information in very different ways they're going to take it in different ways absolutely one thing that i was thinking about which is related to that is the things that we fill in, say in the learning environment, or before we get to the learning environment, the things we might say or not say about what the learning situation is going to be, like our hopes. I'm a facilitator. So my hopes for what the learning experience will be like for the learners that if I don't really intentionally say some stuff about what I hope it will be, then maybe they can conclusions. And specifically, I'm thinking about virtual learning because sometimes yeah. people will think, oh, well, it's going to be a presentation, right? And I'm going into it in any way, shape or form thinking I'm going to present to the group. It's going to be an interactive experience. So so I think sometimes people expect that, oh, virtual means one way delivery of information. 
and that is not my world. Does that resonate yes. with you in any way? Yes. And I'm also a facilitator um, and specifically using games as experiential learning for groups when it comes to how do they communicate? How do they work together? How do different work styles, how do you create that that cohesive sense of team where people feel like they're bought in and, and are making a meaningful contribution? And there's so many levels of, of what you just said that play into it. With, are you setting up the room so that people are will know how to participate? People are so used to coming into a room and one person's facing them and they're all facing that one person and they're being talked at. And that's the default. And so people come in and assume, well, I, I can just be passive. I'm just checking a box for being here. You know, even if you set up the room differently or even on Zoom, if you even ask a question at the beginning so that everybody has to engage and you tell them, you know, I want to hear from you, you can really shift the experience, but you have to lay that out. You have to set these expectations for for where you want it to go and, and how you want people to uh, to participate and and also then think about what creating psychological safety and creating the right environment for people to participate in that way. Absolutely. I love how you're thinking about a lot of the same things that I do in both the in-person experience and the virtual experience that room setup. I just love thinking about that in both modes really. And what is that? Because that's not something we necessarily say, is it? It's something that people come in and they see, or they hear something, you know, music's playing or the rooms in the circle set up or whatever it is. And there's, there's something that it's saying to them without having words said around what the expectations are maybe. Yeah. Yes. And I don't know if you know too, but as I've gotten deeper into facilitation and especially with the game thing and thinking about how do you create situations where you want people to interact a certain way, you can't unsee it. Like I, I had a doctor's appointment earlier this week and I walked in, I was like, it's so dumb how this space is laid out. It's not at all conducive to how they want people to move through it and what information they want people to take away. It's everywhere. Oh, absolutely. I think when we facilitate, we facilitated, we're probably terrible participants or clients sometimes because we see everything and we just have that awareness of what is going on, how the room is set up. You're right, yeah. like a doctor's office or whatever it is. And, you know, I've had a situation in meeting with, this was years ago, my child's daycare providers where we had to have a conversation with them. But I came in and the room was set up in, you know, one chair for me on the other side of this panel set up for them. And I'm going, well, that's not collaborative, right? Like, so we see it in yes. every situation. It doesn't have to be a real learning situation, what yeah. that expectation is. And they don't even know they're doing it um, yes. sometimes, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And I'm curious if this, if this rings familiar for you, I'm very cognizant of wanting to act how I'm expected to, because for me, I'm not, I'm a recovered people pleaser, I guess, recovering people pleaser. But I also, I don't want to add unnecessary like friction or, or stress to people's lives. I sort of want to, you know, have a pleasant interaction so that you know everybody gets what they need out of it. And so I'm always looking for the cues of how am I supposed to engage? And when there aren't any, it makes me really uncomfortable. Oh, absolutely. It makes me think of, do you know Priya Parker's book, The yeah, Art of Gathering? Yes. I'm sure people have mentioned it many times on the podcast before, but there's that the pieces that she talks about around setting rules. Like we have to tell people what the rules are because then if we don't, they, and I'm going to probably butcher exactly how she says it, but we, we tell people what the rules are because otherwise they're just making an assumption about what the rules are and that may or may not be true. So we're always kind of going into a new situation, figuring out, well, what are the quote unquote rules in this situation and how do we comply with them? ways? 
Yeah. 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 And it's just remember that people's brains and their emotions will fill in the gaps wherever there's a gap and you might not like what they fill it in with. Do you find that because your experience, it sounds like is, is working with groups around games, gamification, it sounds like, is that, is that correct? First of all, um, a little bit different <laughs> than gamification, but yeah, it's around okay. games. Yeah. Play and games. I think I, mm-hmm. I, I must, I creeped you a little bit on your website before we met, <laughs> I must admit. Do you find that people have expectations when they hear it, something about play or about games and they're, and, and, and is that a positive or a negative thing. <laughs> yeah, that's something we've spent so much time thinking about. It yeah, it very much depends. And we've heard I've been through a lot of forced fun type engagements with, you know, in a professional setting and we our whole company is based on the, being the opposite of that. We did a lot of research into what are the elements that make us force fun. And it all comes down to expectations. You know, when you say, hey, we're going to do a social event with a, with this group of people, you know, with everybody at the company, is it really social? Can people just show up and truly be themselves and tell jokes and, you know, say things that maybe they wouldn't say if they're on the clock? Or are they being judged? Are they supposed to schmooze? Is there an office politic component to it? And they're going to be evaluated? Can they spend time with the people they already know? Are they supposed to meet other people? Those are really big questions. And when your career is on the line, when it's the thing that's supporting you and your family, you can't just take that for granted. The the stakes are too high. And so from the beginning, just saying this is purely a a social event, you know, we're just going to get to know each other, feel feel free to be funny. You have to set the tone for that. Or if there is a learning component, this is part of, you know, we know there have been some communication challenges. So we're going to do this and try to figure out what are some creative ways that you can communicate that's what we've come up with a whole framework for how do you level set those expectations for how people should show up and how do you create the conditions so that they can do that? Yeah. And is there, it makes me think about, can people come being themselves in that environment? Like what was flashing through my mind as you were saying that I was thinking about a group that I went to the other week where I was a participant and we were being facilitated through applied improv techniques. Mm -hmm. And I know the facilitator, we had a walk after and I said, oh, you know, I, I was really pressured by the expectation to be funny in one of the uh, exercises. And we had already previously talked about how that shouldn't be the case in improv facilitation that we, you know, it just is what it is. Like, don't try to be funny, but I'm like, oh, the first guy spoke and he was really funny in the way he, he, you know, said his thing. And I felt that expectation that I also had to really try to lay on the funny and I don't know. And so there's that piece, like when your groups come into the room, are they allowed to be themselves? And, and not have to put something on like their colleagues have this humor or this whatever way of being in the world that maybe they don't need yeah, to take that I mean, on. They could just be themselves. Huge, Does that make sense? That's a huge thing. And when we're facilitating and we also train other facilitators on how to bring games into their work, that that's a skill that we teach of us. How do you set that up? Some people will never get there and, and that's okay. And that's part of, you know, in talking about expectations, it, that's part of the debrief is, you know, what would have made you feel more comfortable? What would have made you feel more engaged? Or why, you know, why didn't you do that? It, It's fascinating to me how many people or leaders, managers feel like, oh, yeah, people know that they can come ask me questions if they don't understand something. And they just they just don't. Well, are they not asking questions because they really don't have questions or because they don't know that you think you have an open door policy or because you might convey in some way that you're not really open to that, whether it's your facial expression, whether your calendar is too busy, whether you don't leave that time. Uh, I mean, that's, I think, one of the 
in terms of creating a good learning environment and a safe work environment, I think that's one of the most important things. Like make sure people really do understand what you expect from them in terms of asking questions. Be really explicit about it. Absolutely. And it makes me think about before a learning experience that I would facilitate, I've really started to enact the practice of saying in the pre-communication email that if you have something that you want to tell me about how I can support you in this learning experience that's coming up, please reach out and tell me. Because I could have made an assumption like the managers you're talking about that, oh, of course, they're going to reach out if they need something in the learning experience, you know, so I don't have to say that. But I actually Mm -hmm. do have to say that I have to Mm -hmm. be really explicit to say, no, I'm open for you to tell me how I can meet your expectations as a learner in this experience. And to, to be honest, most people don't, like, I don't really hear from most, you know, most people, but the one person that, you know, emails back and says, actually, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm deaf. <laughs> and I'm, I was wondering whether to come to this experience or not, which is, is a, a real example I had, and sure does make me think about how I've, you know, makes me deal with my expectations about what I thought the learning experience was going to be too, and maybe make some adjustments to be able to support that person and all people fully. So there's lots of yeah, things that's around such a good, explicit, right? That's such a good tip is, is explicitly ask for it. Is there anything else I need to know, or maybe should know, or might be relevant? Yeah. Yeah. Another thing we're doing is because I work with, with colleagues in, in my own, um, organization. So we're opening up alternative options for people to participate in different ways so that, you know, no matter whether it's a learning disability they have, or they really just don't feel like participating with a, you know, getting together in a pair with someone else that day because of their mood or whatever, that we can double design activities and say, okay, we invite you to go into a pair, but if you'd rather do this activity alone, then that's, that's okay. Like that Mm -hmm. is also accepted. And here's another way to get to that. So this is sort of universal design for learning techniques that I'm always going to be learning about how to yeah. do this better. Yeah. One of the ways that we deal with that with the games is we always give people the option to be an observer. If for whatever reason you don't understand or you don't feel comfortable, be an observer, but that the observer is an active role. And then we give some prompt questions for what to look for. You know, what do you notice about how other people are behaving. Does it seem like some people are more clear on what they're supposed to do than others? There are people going into it with similar ideas of what the goal is um, of, of how to interact. And, and people notice really great things. And so giving them permission to notice that and then to, to share what they observed is really valuable. And then a lot of the time what happens is people who observed the first activity we do will then feel comfortable engaging in the second because they they see what we're trying to do and that it really is I don't have an agenda going in other than creating a really safe and fun space for people to learn and grow together and once they can understand that and see that then they're more likely to to take part that's nice I like that you do that so they yeah they have no idea what to expect you've shown them an example then they feel more comfortable to kind of step into that as they go along that's nice What about expectations for yourselves as facilitators? I think you work with colleague facilitators as well. Do you, do you talk about like your own expectations as you prepare or, or debrief maybe a learning experience? Both. Yeah, both. And I have to be very upfront with collaborators that I tend to be an over-prepare. I think part of me wanting to make sure that I'm contributing to other people's 
interactions in a positive way to the extent that I can. Um, I like to think through what, how is the room going to be set up? And how many times do you think we should meet beforehand? And not script it for I say this, you say this, but what's the best way to divide up what we're going to be doing? And and where, where are you more comfortable? Where am I more comfortable? And I've worked a couple of times with facilitators that are much more fly by the seat of their pants and had it the interaction went fine. I don't think the clients recognize anything, but it was not satisfying for me. And so I've realized in terms of expectations, I need to be clear about that. And that's not to say it's my way or the highway. If I meet with someone that's like, well, I don't need to prepare quite as much, but here are the important things. As long as there is that that setting of expectation, that communicating about what our individual needs are, um, and we can meet in the middle, then it's, it's going to work out great. What about you? That's a great question. I think I'm very similar to you. I like uh, flexibility within structure. I Mm -hmm. lesson plan, you know, in a lesson plan template, you know, I could go off on a whole tangent and I won't about why I would do, you know, that and why that's useful. Um, But when I'm co-facilitating, which actually is a lot of the time as well, I'd like to have that conversation to say, okay, well, I'll lead this piece, but feel free if there's something I'm missing or, you know, you've got a great idea, co-facilitator, please jump in. Like, I'm not going to be really tied. Like, again, I've got key points that someone may say it could be a learner, could be me, it could be my co-facilitator, you know, like there's sort of flexibility within that piece. I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't rehearse, you know, pieces of the lesson plan. Like I just have that, that um, guideline, I guess, for where we're going. I know there's timings in there, you know, it's, it is all planned out, but then we don't know what's going to happen with the group too. So there's that piece around just expecting that, there will be variety within the structure that we've set out. But but that interplay yeah. between co-facilitators, I mean, they'll do something that I totally didn't expect. And sometimes it's a really beautiful thing, isn't it? You go, oh, wow, I'm, I'm learning from my co-facilitator. That's the best kind of situation for me too. Yeah. And there's no perfect balance where it's like 60% structure and 40% creativity. It's it's a real art way more than it's a science. But But for me, there's just an instinct for okay we have i've done the right amount of planning i've thought through the right number of contingencies and asked the right questions and from here on i'm prepared and now i can deal with whatever happens and whether it goes exactly as i want or not it feels like at least i've done i've done my piece yeah absolutely yeah i I probably am a planner at heart but there's that creativity kind of spontaneity piece that i really love and you know, when learners teach us things, that's always the best kind of situation for me too. Yeah. So I'm curious, how was this always what you were doing? Or like, how did you get into this? This type of work, the facilitation space? Wow, that's a yeah, what's the short story? I mean, I started out on the administrative side in higher educational institutions you know, did a did a, a bachelor's and then eventually a master's in education, um, but but really was on the staff side coordinating programs and then over the years in different settings became the one to stand up in front of the group and. And, you know, I called myself a trainer in the early days. And then I realized, no, it's not training, it's facilitation, you know, facilitating learning, facilitating group process and uh, event like, so I've worked in higher ed and in um, in nonprofits, most of all. And then eventually just threw up my own shingle. And I, 
I love the variety of that. Like expectations, people go, oh, what does a typical day look like? I, I have no idea what a typical day looks like. And uh, because there's, we work so much across different contexts and across different client sectors. And um, so my expectation is just the variety of the work really is, yeah. is really nice as an entrepreneur. What about, what about you? What's been your, your quick story, I guess, to get to where you are? Yeah, well, and I'll, I'll, I could tell you, I'll do that. I'll tell you the reason I asked the question is, yeah. again, I've seen so many, it's fascinating that, you know, we never met before, but there's so many similarities to what we do and how we think. And to me, being a good facilitator, and it comes down to the expectations is just noticing all of these little aspects of the situation that other people don't notice and seeing that if, if they go unsaid, if they go unnoticed, it can really derail uh, derail what the group is doing or derail what the culture is uh, or how people, how engaged they are. And so I didn't start out in this work. I was in public policy and public health for a number of years, but worked at varying levels of uh, dysfunctional organizations. But to me, I could see, well, the reason this conversation went so bad is because people have really different assumptions and they're not talking about it or People don't have the right information ahead of them. So they're just drawing on their own experience and it's it's not accurate for the situation. And unofficially would just find ways to make sure that it was all expectation thinking. Like, how do we make sure that people in that moment are on the same page and have the information that they need and, and understand what they're supposed to get out of it? What can I do? Because I would see all these really lovely, really smart people butting heads constantly over really predictable and really fixable issues. And so I didn't even realize it was facilitation. It was similar to sort of training. Okay, people don't understand how to use this template. So I'm just going to show them so that it doesn't lead to conflict anymore. Um, and then gradually, you know, my, my career evolved from that. But it, it was all these places where there's misaligned expectations or wrong assumptions that I could see as plain as day is how do I help other people see them so that they don't keep bumping into the same problems over and over again. Yeah, I like that. And then you realize, hey, this is facilitation. This yeah. is actually its own career. Yes. And it's, it's a really uh, strong skill, yes. right, that you maybe discovered in yourself. Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. I I have a strong background from years ago in volunteer management. So I worked at a volunteer center. I ran training at a volunteer center and then I, I taught volunteer management for, for a long time. And, you know, maybe it's because of some of my time in the world of, of managing volunteers and working with people who manage volunteers. Like that is also a skill to, to be a manager of volunteers. Like you have to notice people and what's going on in organizations and, and these people land in an organization and have to fit in really quickly. And they have to, you know, you have to kind of navigate those people through that new experience to just land and, and volunteer somewhere in an organization. So I've never thought about this before, but it makes me think, well, maybe it helped develop my, my facilitation skills yeah. because of, of all those things that maybe are unique to the the world of volunteers. I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, because when, if, it's, if it's a job, there's some sort of, okay, I'm getting paid for this. So somebody is expecting me to contribute something with volunteers. It's, are you, is there an opportunity that's meaningful to them? It's, it's less transactional, but there has to be something that keeps them engaged. And this has happened to me a couple of times where I've gone, to, I've seen volunteers needed and I've gone to show up and I felt useless. It wasn't well thought. I mean, in the experience design aspect, it wasn't clear who am I supposed to talk to? 
um, there wasn't much for me to do. And so I'm just standing around feeling like, am I in the way? And I'm awkward and I won't volunteer there again. And so you have to be so intentional with, again, what's the experience that you want people to have so that they can get that sense of meaning and contribution out of it that they're looking for. Yeah. And so let's bring it back to learning experiences. I mean, when we do not think intentionally about crafting a learning experience so that it's you know, for me, I like active participatory, there's activities in there that are aligned or outcomes, you know, we've thought about all of that ahead of time. And it's, and it's fun, like it's a place where people actually want to be and they know that they belong there. And so on. That's, there's so much intentionality to that, like, it has to be worth it for those people. It's not just a reason to come to training, because they were asked to, or they're kind of forced to by their organization, like, I really, you know, no matter how they got there, like, I really want them to go away thinking, okay, my expectations were actually not just met, but exceeded that I I really Mm -hmm. didn't think it was going to be as good as it was. So, yeah. 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 And and it's funny because part of the the idea for the games and experiential learning came from I've sat through in my career so many really poorly run trainings where like real learning was not the objective. It was like throw information into people's eyeballs and their ears and assume that it's up to them for what they're going to do about it. But so much of the the development that's happening now are really critical interpersonal skills that that people need. And so it's not enough to just assume if we throw it at them in enough ways, they'll absorb it. It's, it's, you're trying to make real behavior change, even little things with how do you respond to people asking questions or do you say, and I'm leaving time for questions, please, you know, come to me. All those little things are, are real behavior changes. And so in the learning context, you have to think, what else do people need to actually take this knowledge and do something with it? And that's where the experiential piece comes in is that they're practicing it. And if you practice it in this intermediary space that that these learning experiences are and get confident enough, then you can apply it in the real life setting. But when it's just hypothetical, that's still too scary of a leap to make. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think, Alex, you're right on the money. We are very, you know, symbiotic beings (laughs) in our thinking around this, because I too talk about it's not just knowledge change, it's behavior change. And that's, that's, Mm -hmm. for me, why learning outcomes are so powerful, that if we haven't actually thought about that behavior change that we want, and in these people, these individuals, then why are we doing this anyway? I mean, and if we didn't give them the experience of do actually doing something in the workshop or in the learning experience, like it's not going to work, is it? Like we can't just talk at people. It's never going to work the way we we will never get them to that behavior change we want. So my like I I have high expectations for us learning designers, us facilitators. Yeah, and something that that I've talked to so many other facilitators about are how many potential clients where it's just like we're having these massive problems. You know, we really want to change. Um, we can pay you like $1,500 to talk to us for 45 minutes. And I'm like, wait, but you just told me like the sky is falling and these are real problems. It's affecting your bottom line and you're having all this turnover and it's really chaotic. But you want that, your expectation is that problem can be solved with a really superficial short-term engagement where people are just expected to sit there passively and have information thrown at them. Those are totally misaligned expectations and and something that I really want to to have, have this collaborative effort to figure out like how do you how do you close that gap? Oh, client it's I think a whole other episode to talk about client expectations that way because absolutely we get into that space too, but we are creating 
for sure an interactive experience. I will not present for an hour. You know, I, I won't present for more than about five minutes, actually, usually in any given time. But, you know, we'll do a one hour experience, a two hour experience, whatever. But and it is interactive. But still like that, that is not the client's expectation is that it's going to drastically change their organization to have all their facilitators come and hang out with us for two hours and do something interactive. Like, no, we, we need more than that. We need more time to do transformational work with other facilitators. That's one huge element of the client expectation. And then another piece too, is you'll see you know, the, the leader who brings someone in a leadership position brings you in, but then their expectation is, well, all the learning and change has to happen to everybody else. I'm not part of that. So <laughs> I'm bringing you in, but you're just talking to them and I can keep doing the things that I'm doing. And that's another one where you just want to like slap your forehead and be like, oh, we have some expectations to manage here. Exactly. Right. It's like they're not even in the room and you're like, no, it's, you, you should have been part of this experience, right? That we were crafting for your for your staff, for sure. Yeah. It's, it's really fascinating. I mean, and it's, again, one of those things where trained facilitators, you see all of these invisible strings behind the scenes that, that affect the outcome of the situation and what the impact is. And there's only so many that you can control, but you try to figure out how to, how to get your hands on as many of those strings as you can. That's true. There's a lot of moving parts and a lot of moving people. Like we've, I think we've talked about ourselves as facilitators and our learners and you know the clients that if we're working independently they're the, you know they're hiring us or the leaders at client like there's so many different people involved and we're all coming with different expectations to this these experiences aren't we mm-hmm. can you think of i don't want to put you on the spot but an example of a time where you feel like you really nailed the setting the expectations piece and you could see how people engaged and I do have to think about that for a little bit. I I, feel, I hope I do it a lot, right? Like I feel like, you know, especially in the virtual world, I guess I still do more of that because of COVID than, than in person, you know, the in-person still has been very slow to come back, but the expectations piece comes in that pre-session communication, like I talked about, but even as people start coming into the virtual room, we have we do a start start before the start activity. And so the expectation is, hey, like we're welcoming you as individuals. We're trying to figure out how to pronounce your names. We're we're having some fun and talking about our days. And we're we're having that kind of casual social start. Like for me, I I think every time we're pretty good at setting the expectations that this is going to be an experience that we're going to enjoy. And you know, you're welcome here as a learner. And yeah, so not one comes out of my mind just specifically, but I don't know. It's something I do think about every time. Mm-hmm. Like how do we set the scene for the experience we're going to create? And there's lots of things wrapped up in how we do that. Mm-hmm. What about you? Is there something coming to mind for you? Um, I love, well, I love what you said because it's, it's you responding to individual needs and to reading people's needs and what do they need to feel invited in? Um, so that, that totally resonates. I think I do that as well. I find Telling people sort of expecting how they're supposed to engage, but then making sure they're clear what they're going to get out of it and that it, it's intentional. This isn't just 60 minutes of their time or a day of their time for the sake of of checking a box that just sort of showing like, if you put this in, this is what it, this is what's going to happen and this is what you're going to get out of it. So not only am I giving them expectations that I have for them, but that they have expectations for me to deliver on something 
Um, yeah, absolutely. So that's, yeah. that's something else. I see Andrew's asking us in the chat is how much is expectation a women's issue? Wow. I feel like I have to take a deep breath. <laughs> I know. What do we do with that, Alex? I think largely it's been something that women have thought about more, but as more attention is paid to what all, all of these invisible things that are happening in the background, more people are paying attention to it. But I do think that there is sort of unspoken norm that women will take care of the the logistics, the little things that men won't necessarily notice. I don't think it's a biological thing. I think it's sort of a just social expectation thing. What about you? It's kind of a minefield sort of question, isn't it? I'm not <laughs> sure what to say. I suppose it's making me think about the the necessity to have emotion present in a learning experience. Maybe like you're right, social, social experiences, emotional experiences, like the full range of emotions is acceptable in learning. Um, but, you know, I talk a lot about just let's show up as real human beings and we're fallible and we make mistakes and we recover from them. And sometimes we can do that in front of the group and that's okay. And, you know, like, let's just give each other grace mm-hmm. <laughs> around who we are in a room together. So I don't, I don't know. I guess I don't, I, I talk a lot to women in this field. I don't talk maybe as much to men, maybe there because there are more of us who are women facilitating, but um, so I, I haven't actually asked men that kind of question. Like, do they think as much as we do about what a social emotional experience looks like in a learning experience? What do you think? In my experience, women seem just more comfortable with thinking and talking about the social and emotional experience. And I think because of that, it comes out more. But as I think it's inviting more men into it and just helping them feel comfortable expressing it and and noticing the outcomes that they can have that are different based on it. I don't know. Did you see the Barbie movie? I did. I think there's some really interesting stuff in there about sort of how men suffer from the expectations that are put on men for how they're not supposed to be in touch with their emotions or engage in certain types of conversations. I thought that was a pretty brilliant point that the movie made. You're right. I think as women, we have more leeway given to us about the range of emotion we can, although we we probably are are also persecuted for that in some ways as well. Um, but I I too I would like to see men be able to tell themselves and have society tell men that they they can expect more of themselves in terms of that range of emotion or or social connection or whatever it is. And, but I don't think it, I think as long as somebody is, is genuinely attuned to other people's emotions and, and thinking about how they, how they experience a situation, I've seen men be amazing facilitators and, you know, amazing, you know, comforters and, and supporters. Absolutely. It's so, yeah, it's really hard to draw gender lines on this and we don't want to be binary about it either, do we? So mm-hmm. I don't know. I just keep trying to remember that I have my own experience and other people have their own experiences as well. And I'll never really fully understand, but let's try to make room for whoever we all are in the learning space. Yeah. I think about that so much and, and, and still, I still am learning so much 
when I'm with a group is there's going to be somebody's experience that I never would have thought of that I didn't necessarily build into my own expectations or assumptions because it just wasn't on my radar and catching myself wanting to be like, oh my gosh, no, 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 I'm that, that, that's not part of this, but it had to be like, okay, yes. And how do I incorporate that in? Absolutely. It's that, it's that reaction that maybe the first reaction is, oh no, I'm not, I'm not perfect enough. You know, I didn't know that, but then to check that and go, no, actually, thank you for teaching me that thing to help me grow in my practice. Like, I mean, that's a nice way to close, isn't it, Alex? I think that as we think about the expectations we put on ourselves and our growth as facilitators, my expectation is that I am never going to be done my work, learning how to do this work. And that's kind of part of the exciting part as well. What about you? It's an ongoing journey for me to leave my perfectionist and high performing compulsions behind and be open to there's there's beauty and excitement in the idea that I'll never know everything even if you know I can do things to what I think are perfect and somebody else is going to have really different expectations or it's it's not going to be what's right in that context and so it's there's no one single objective answer best answer, right answer for things. It's it's just picking up the contextual cues and figuring it out. And most of the time I'm really good at internalizing that and have, have, have embraced that, but there's still moments where, especially if I'm really stressed, there's there's a lot of pressures where I'm like, what's the right best thing? And just having to let go of it. I like that. Letting go, maybe give ourselves some permission to do that. That's nice. That's a great note to, to end on. I'm definitely going to be taking that with me. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful to you have this conversation with someone I've never met yet about our field. And I've appreciated learning with you today. Likewise, I hope we have a chance to talk again. Me too. When we recorded this episode, for the first time ever, we had a real technical problem and we couldn't record in our online studio. Both Beth and Alex were real troopers, though, and this didn't stop them from producing a brilliant and amazing episode. A huge thank you to both Beth and Alex for their time and intelligent conversation. Their contact details, along with links to books, websites and so on, are in the show notes. You'll also find links to our website, future episodes that we want to record, and to our donation page. We'll be back in another couple of weeks with another episode of Women Talking About Learning, and next time it's the self-awareness one. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll see you again soon.